Hi and welcome to The Chat. My name is Leah Tsamaglou. Each week on The Chat, we shine a light on the lives and careers of UTS alumni here at the 2SER studios. This week, my guest on the show is Gary Brown, who is a philanthropist and the CEO of Stuart Alexander Co., a business that distributes and markets iconic brands like Mentos and Chubba Chups to Australian consumers. Let's take a listen to his story. Tell me about your early life as a child. I heard that um, when you were growing up, you had a bit of trouble in school and that you were encouraged to not finish high school. Is that correct? It's not entirely correct. So my early childhood, my my recollections are that I was a a fat, tubby little boy who who really was not part of the gang or part of uh, any one clique. And... Uh, to some extent, I was somewhat of a loner, although it probably didn't appear that way, but that certainly was in my mind at the time. And I tended to befriend those who were probably less fortunate than I was or who I saw in the playground who were uh, lonely and on their own. And uh, I think that stuck with me for quite uh, some years. And that probably is where I am today in wanting to make sure that there are People, young people, older people who uh, are not lonely and on their own in such a way that they can't fend for themselves. So from that perspective, it's probably set the theme for what I do today. With your philanthropic work, right? Exactly. And also trying to balance out what society is all about is to give young people, if not older people, a a hand up rather than just a handout. That's really lovely. Um, And also, like you said, you were a bit overweight. You weren't very athletic, but you were determined to be and you took up running at an early age can you tell me the story about that so that pivotal race when you're a kid well I think firstly I was always considered to be overweight and uh, it was suggested maybe you should start jogging to uh, reduce your tubbiness which I did and uh, it then came far more of a passion for me or a a focus to try and uh, achieve something because at that stage I was not very good at school and uh, uh, I really wanted to have something that I could be known for and uh, so I uh, set about training. Uh, My mother helped me find uh, someone who would be a little bit more professional in the way they'd train me uh, uh, from a running perspective and I met uh, a a wonderful man who uh, ended up being my mentor for over 30 years. And uh, he said, listen, uh, you know something? I think you can do anything you want, but you're not going to be the fastest guy in the uh, in the pack, but you'll be one who'll be there at the end. And that prom- really provoked me to uh, take on the 3,000 metres at school and uh, that which I uh, ended up winning against everyone's belief that I would have no chance. How old were you? I was uh, 16. Wow. And... You finished high school. You got into UTS and studied a Bachelor of Business. Tell me about your time here at UTS. So before I got into UTS, I've got to tell you Mm -hmm. that um, when I got my whole school certificate, which was something I never, ever believed I would ever get, um, I uh, I really wanted to mix my education and my passion, which was running at the time. So I tried, uh, I applied for uh, a dip ed in um, 
Canberra College of Advanced Education in, in uh, physical education. And I also put down for UTS business. And I did not get into uh, that uh, college down in Canberra, but I got into UTS. So, uh, so you were at a crossroads, I guess, I was life. at a crossroads. And for the first time, uh, I, I guess in my – I was the first uh, generation to actually have a university degree because my parents didn't have any uh, university education. And uh, so I – came to UTS and uh, was at that place called Brickfield Hill, which probably those who uh, are sitting in uh, UTS today probably don't even know what it was. It's now the World Trade Centre. And uh, it was an old crickety, uh, rickety building for which was an interesting way to start a university uh, career. That must have been so daunting as well, coming to uni, not having, you know, sort of a, anyone gone to uni before and your family before, was it? Yeah, so I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And uh, I think today young people have just as big a challenge because they they lose the structure, they lose the, the network and the mentoring, the guiding they probably had and the nurturing they had at school to come into an organisation that has just got... 10, 20 times or 100-fold uh, in terms of number of students while she might be in a similar faculty or class. So I think that's always a challenge is to integrate young people who come into university into the community of the university. Correct. Uh, tell me about your time here. What, do you have any memories? So I, um, I didn't... I had a number of friends who had come into the university from uh, different uh, paths that uh, were either at school or I'd known outside. Um, it was, um, I think the initial years were really tough for me. Uh, the average age of the students were mature age students, so they were much older than I was. Oh, really? Studying uh, business? In business oh. because they were uh, part-timers, uh, obviously a, a very different mix to what you have today. Mm. Uh, I... There was a lot of socialising and not much study uh, because uh, as a result you don't have that structural discipline and all of a sudden you're let out of the cage and uh, you do the sort of things you don't expect to do uh, when you get to a university. And at uh, Brickfield Hill there were um, uh, there were plenty of uh, takeaway food uh, outlets, pubs and all <laughs> those sort of things. Uh, but, of course, I didn't spend too much time there because I was uh, still committed and passionate about my uh, my running and my athletics. How far did you take your running and athletics? So I took it to a level where I was a national, and inter- a national representative and uh, I ran internationally uh, uh, running marathons and uh, long-distance races. So I, uh, I got a hell of a lot out of it wow. and tried to put back some of that uh, pleasure in helping others. That's incredible. We'll talk about some of your athletic feats a bit later on. Were you, I read that you were both, you were mixing both work and study while you were at UTS. Is that right? You, where were you working? So when I, um, when I finished up school and uh, I decided at that crossroad position to take on uh, the, um, uh, business studies degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the company where my father was working at the time, the owner said, "Why don't you come and work for us?" Um, and I, 
I thought that's that's quite amazing um, to have someone offering me a job and they don't even I have no experience. Uh, they must see something in me, and uh, so I started uh, doing uh, working in all my uh, my breaks and uh, and studying accordingly, which ended up. Uh, by the end of the program, I was doing full-time study and full-time work. So I actually did uh, an intense amount at the end of uh, of the course to, to get it done in time. And where was it? Where were you working? Oh, Stuart Alexander, well, which so is were... the company oh, my goodness. where I am today. Now, oh, I incredible. started there. I left the company in the early 80s, yep. went and worked for Sara Lee uh, in the UK and uh, in Europe, and then came back a couple of years later and, uh, and have the... subsequently... Uh, work my way through. <laughs> You're the CEO and managing mm. director. That's incredible. Yes, so that's is. so that's where you were working while um, you were at uni. Did you get a lot out of then um, studying and working? Yeah, look, the experience you get whilst you're not necessarily doing uh, or uh, aligning with each subject, you get the exposure that you probably wouldn't get if you were just doing the study and then starting work. For my mind, I think sandwich courses and courses where you can uh, encourage internships and and the activity of uh, work and study has an enormous amount of benefit to the individual, but also to the corporation because they can actually see the benefit of a young person coming in to change the dynamics. You also studied at Harvard Business School in in the 90s. Tell me about your time there. That was probably the most uh, rewarding but also the most impactful on my uh, and impressionable on my not only personal well-being but also the from the perspective of the way I looked at business. It, it made me realise that and gave me an enormous amount of confidence because there were other participants in that particular course who were having the same challenges and difficulties I was. And uh, I always thought I was Robinson Crusoe, but when I came out of that course, (laughs) I not only knew that I wasn't Robinson Crusoe, but I then had a thirst for knowledge. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, the more you actually want to go back and do more. It's it's a bit like a drug. Mm -hmm. You keep wanting more and more of it. Um, And and that was an incredible experience over a three-year period to meet some amazing people uh, but you learned a hell of a lot. What were some of the challenges that you thought you were grappling with when you were um, studying there? I think it was uh, a lot of it was my um, uh, my confidence as mm-hmm. an individual uh, in terms of making decisions. Where is it the right decision? Uh, there was uh, generational change uh, in the business. And uh, making that transition from one generation to another is incredibly challenging. Uh, No transition or generational change in any organisation is actually the same, always different. But being able to articulate it, discuss it and and build a toolbox of uh, uh, ways in which you can deal with it makes it an incredibly different approach to someone who actually doesn't have any idea. And you studied at Harvard. Was this... Before you became the CEO at Stuart Alexander, or was it while it was sort of? It was in a transitional approach, um, but you really had to be a CEO to participate. I understand. Tell me a little bit about the company. What what do you do, and and can you explain what fast moving consumer goods are? So 
what does the company do? The company's been in business for over 130 years, and we say that um, uh, we uh, we build brands, um, brands that have been uh, or that we want to make household names. That's the way it used to be uh, known, and today it's no different. We mm-hmm. have been building brands for since 1884. The business today is a marketing distribution and brand ownership business that is what you would call from factory door to consumer Mm -hmm. in terms of making global brands available to the Australian New Zealand consumers. And they are brands that are world-renowned, whether it be Tabasco or Mentos or Fisherman's Friend or Chopper Chop, uh, Duracell Batteries. They are brands that are iconic and well-known. We do the marketing, the distribution, and the consumer engagement. What is a fast-moving consumer good? Today, you would know it probably more. The definition comes down to probably uh, basically a consumer good. That is a brand or a a product that's available in the supermarkets Mm -hmm. or retail trade. And fast-moving consumer goods means it is turning over at a reasonable yep. rate, far more than, say, a, you would see a washing machine or a, or a fridge. Fair enough. So, Stuart Alexander, you've worked at introducing a lot of favourite brands into people's homes. You, you know, they are recognisable brands. You mentioned them, Mentos, Tabasco. How do you go about choosing a brand to import and market to an Australian audience? Well, I think firstly you have to identify uh, and understand the consumer, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the Australian consumer. And uh, once you understand the the Australian consumer, it's then about identifying categories and areas where there's opportunities. And that that does take quite some time to identify niches and and areas where you are going to create that opportunity. You know, uh, you you might have seen in our in our historical uh, uh, history of of the business that, you know, we launched Makona Coffee, for example. Mm. There was no freeze-dried brand or category uh, on the market at that stage, uh, and we're going back to the early 80s. That's massive as well. And today, Makona is a a recognised brand. We are created that segment. Mentos is a good example of where a mint and uh, that category probably wasn't uh, developed and, and matured to what it is today. And that that's a brand we've built over the last 25 years. With the example of Mentos, I know that you said you uh, take care of the marketing. With the advertisements and that sort of thing, you know, those famous Mentos ads, I know they originally sort of came from America... Or were they are they the Australian ones that if we saw? If you are talking about the up, Fresh Maker, yeah. the ones you were growing up with, the Fresh Maker was actually created uh, in Holland. Yeah. Um, oh, Holland. Sorry. They also or the concept was mm-hmm. originated from uh, from Holland, and uh, they would have been produced in any number of parts of the world. Uh, obviously, the strategy for Fresh Maker was a global strategy, and we were able to adapt it locally. And it was a phenomenal success. Have you ever localised a product that is more global but focused it for an Australian audience? The Fisherman's Friend brands are a very good example of where we've localised a global brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might have seen uh, a number of ads uh, depicting a dolphin or you might have seen... Uh, 
uh, a woman in red slapping a, a truck driver with a fish or yep. <laughs> they're, they're local brands. They are not global brands. We've created all of that locally because it's more attuned to the, the local humour and the local uh, theme. That's so interesting. Look, look, the retail sector has been in a bit of trouble over the past few years. How has Stuart Alexander fared through it? I think what we are seeing in... Uh, in the retail sector is is quite a, a a transitional turbulent change in many respects uh, because it has been uh, a duopoly for a long long time and uh, to see other players come into the market I think is incredibly healthy um, Aldi um, coming into the market I think has added another dimension they are one of our customers as well um, and they bring a, or create, or help to create a new dynamic as far as uh, the retail or supermarket uh, segment is concerned. I suspect it's going to continue uh, in terms of the change. Suppliers, uh, principals uh, need to adapt accordingly, uh, and and uh, will it affect us you know, it's affecting everyone in varying ways. If you want to be around in another 100 years, then you have to reinvent yourself. Always adapt. And you have to adapt uh, and you have to navigate through that change. And that takes uh, some very clear strategic initiatives and gets you focused on where do you want to be as to where you are. How about things like the internet? So, for example, like Tabasco Source... If we use that as an example, you guys import it, but what about other people importing more sort of niche hot sauces on the market and changing, I guess, the hot sauce market? Does that does that affect you at all? My philosophy is competition is really healthy yep. and uh, it comes down to consumers voting with their feet. Mm-hmm. If you do all the right things and you can continue to add value to the brand and to consumer, then it's actually going to be enriching for the category. Uh, with all the new sources coming on, that tells you that the, uh, the trend and mindset of the consumer is focused far more in that, that area. Tabasco's been around since 1863, a well-recognised, well-known brand, and it's important for that brand to continue to reinvent itself as well, which we continually do with with new flavours and innovation, etc., and uh, and adding the value and then allowing consumers to have that sample or the taste and experience. What's your view on consumer buying habits? Do you think that people sort of want more trusted brands, or will they change their mind and buy no frills at the counter because it's a bit cheaper? You know, I How do you it, see it? Oh, I, no. You know, I think it depends on the category, but I do think that consumers want the experience uh, and they want to feel as if it's part of them. They want to own it in the sense of and be proud of using a brand. I think that's the challenge. Obviously, there are those who are price conscious and uh, categories where you're never going to see anything different. Uh, stable foods and things of that nature are are uh, far more uh, price-driven and, you know, in the end, they end up to be commodities. Um, 
it is our duty as a brand guardian to ensure that the brand continues to deliver value uh, so that it never becomes a commodity, even though our uh, the retail trade tries to continue down that path with discount pricing, etc. How do you feel consumer buying habits has changed over time? Has it changed in your opinion? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah very much so because we come from this consumers are far more experiential. They mm. have not been that way. And of course, that changes with generational change as well. Speaking of that, a lot of the brands that you look after, say Chupa Chup or maybe Duracell, um, I would typically think growing up that they were Australian brands. And I think a lot of people might feel that way too. Mm. And that's down to the marketing. Good marketing, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, how, did, how did you go about marketing those brands to, to Australian consumers to make it feel local? Well, I think, I think the philosophy, and uh, you use those two examples, uh, as, you, as you appreciate, we haven't had those brands for 130 years. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the brands that we've had for a long period of time, the thing we've focused on always as a company is never to highlight the origin of the brand as such, uh, but uh, focus on the value and the, the uh, intrinsic elements that help consumers to align and engage with the brand. That, I think, is critical. If, you're, if you lose engagement uh, with your consumer and they lose engagement with the brand, you've potentially lost them forever. Mm-hmm. And how has your marketing changed over the, the years? That's an interesting question because it's from a pure engagement perspective, it probably hasn't changed because you're always trying to capture the uh the the consumer but it's the way you actually get to your consumer that ch- has changed mm. whether it be through the avenues of television whether it be sampling or obviously social media um it's about being creative and innovative and if you can't do that in your marketing and in your engagement with consumer they get very bored mm. and they walk and you can't rest on your laurels of them being sort of trusted no. brands either, no. I guess. And, and, the, and that's what I've tried to instill within the business is, you know, you have to keep reinventing yourself. We've not been around for a hundred odd years without that reinvention of a new way and a new approach. Absolutely. Where do you see the future for Stuart Alexander? Where would you like to see it go? Oh, look, uh, there's no doubt the market is changing considerably and I think we'll probably find ourselves branching out into other initiatives and other areas within the marketplace because I think if you uh, continue, can continue to have uh, four uh, posts on the floor and, you know, four legs to a chair, Mm. it's the same sort of thing, you actually remain stable and uh, sustainable. Would you branch out? Because you you do have like a set amount of brands that you work with, would you expand more or are you happy with the the groups? Always looking for new opportunities, always looking for new categories to focus on and get involved in. Obviously, it's important not to spread yourself too thin. Mm. Uh, Focus on uh, that which you know the best. I think they used to say, um, stick to your knitting uh, and that we've done for a long time. 
Could you tell me a, a little bit about your um, philanthropic work? For instance, what's is it Esteem or Esteem yep. is the company foundation. Yep. And the reason it is called Esteem is that uh, our intent is to, if people are in poverty uh, or disadvantaged, whether it's education or uh, any means, uh, when you lift them out of that element or that that aspect of life where they're struggling, you're actually building their esteem. And that's why we called it esteem. The other meaning is S team being Stuart Alexander team. Oh, lovely. And so we focus on on organisations that uh, really need help. We review it every uh, so many years Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we uh, are um, focusing on the important things in the community. And it can vary from uh, cerebral palsy to Oz Harvest to Smith family. We've got a range of recipients that uh, that we work with. Very important to make sure that our staff are engaged as well, because for my mind, it's all very well to give uh, out, but it's also, as I said earlier, hand up and hand out. So giving your time as well. Exactly. You're also physically very active. Um, You complete triathlons you've climbed you've climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and and you've walked the Kokoda Trail not the Kokoda no not the Kokoda Trail I must have misheard that the Sim I have walked the Simpson Desert oh the Simpson Desert yeah why did you decide to walk the Simpson Desert and it's not because it was there I can assure you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, actually I was approached by um, an organization that uh, was a recipient of the Esteem Foundation at that stage. Uh, the CEO said, uh, we're looking at a, an initiative, something different. We, we want to get 25 leaders in the community to walk with us. And I said, what are you thinking of doing? Well, we're tossing up between uh, the Simpson Desert and somewhere else. And I think she was talking about Kokoda. I said, oh, really? Would you be in it? I said, I'd like to think about it. Um, and then uh, then I sent an email to a friend of mine who I knew was on the board. Uh, and I said, if you're in this, I'm in. Because I expect him to come back and say I'm not doing it. Because he, he really does. He never has time for any of these sort yep. of things. And two days later, the shock of my life, he came back and said, I'm in. That means you're in. Um and so that was for young care. We walked from Mount Adair through to Birdsville. Uh, so we crossed three uh, states. We started in Mount Adair in South Australia, up to the Northern Territory, then over to uh, Queensland and down in, well, Birdsville. Wow. How long did that take? Uh, it was 10 days. Far and it was, out. there were 25 of us. There was no transport. It was food drops every 24 hours by helicopter. And I think I lost about five kilos in weight. And we raised $1.2 million for young care, which saved them. Sounds like you're in your own episode of Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about these sort of mammoth adventures that attract you to? I think, I think it comes back to uh, really believing that you can still do what you thought you can do Mm -hmm. decades ago. But I take the view with, you know, you mentioned triathlons and all these other things. It's about completing as opposed to competing. 
That's um, nice. And if you can do it for a uh, for a good cause and for a bit of fun and enjoyment and satisfaction, then why not? Do you ever just take normal holidays, go on a stay at a resort and sip cocktails, or are they always action-packed? No, they're not all action-packed, not at all. No, no, no. You do, you do no, relax. No, my wife refuses to do anything like that. That's, That's you know, if we're going to do something, we do something meaningful. What are your plans for the future? Look, that's a really good question. I I certainly believe in not working forever uh, because I think there's too many things in life that one can do. I probably would spend more time uh, focusing on my passion, uh, which is obviously in the non-for-profit or Mm -hmm. sector. And I uh, intend to probably uh, take on uh, a number of uh, non-executive directorships uh, apart from those that I undertake now. So I think I've got plenty of of things to do. You got some uh, good ideas. I have. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gary. Pleasure. Thank you, Leah. Appreciate it. <laughs> that was Gary Brown, who is a philanthropist and the CEO of Stuart Alexander. That's all for the chat this week. If you like the show, you can subscribe to our podcast via SoundCloud or iTunes or from our website, which is 2ser.com forward slash the chat. The show is produced with the support of the University of Technology, Sydney and 2SER 107.3. I'm Leah Summerglue and I'll catch you next week.